Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist, or on Twitter as at Guitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. So, uh, we, we've had, I think, I think I probably had a very eventful weekend compared to what I normally have, uh, music wise. Uh, crazy. Yesterday, I went to Good Time Music. I got to try a couple of pedals. Uh, I tried the new Big Muff Triangle Muff variant. I tried the Op Amp Muff. I tried the Angry Driver mm-hmm. from GHS slash Boss. Yeah. Boss. From Boss. And yeah. uh, I, I have my reservations about buying one because I don't want to give GHS money if I can avoid it. And that's <sighs> just basically is because I have issues with GHS taking other play, pedal companies' designs and just recreating them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I may end up pulling the trigger on that once I uh, once I unleash my uh, pinnacle on the market. Unleash um, the beast. Yeah, because it, um, it's good. That, it's better than my pinnacle. Before that pinnacle goes anywhere, I, know, I better get first dibs. You know, I'm, I, yeah, no, you will, of course. Um, so. Uh, you got to talk to us a little bit about um, the concert you oh. just went to. No, 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 no. Wait, we're getting there. I was blowing my nose for those of you. Uh, I, I wanted to mute it so nobody would have to hear it. Oh, um, yeah. So I was invited by uh, show follower, show contributor, um, Dan Kish, uh-huh. uh, to go see a metal show. Now. Um, most people, when they go to their first metal show, you know, what are they thinking? They're like Iron Maiden or Juice Priest yep. or yep. like that's me. Mastodon or something yep. more mainstream metal, right? Yep. Um, most people's first metal shows are probably like Ozzy Osbourne or somebody like that. Yeah. Um, and now, I mean, listening to some of those bands, I don't even think they are metal. Um, my first <laughs> real metal show uh, because I don't consider Corn to be a real metal show. I think we mentioned on a previous episode I'd seen them years yeah. ago. Um, was with basically the most brutal metal act you could possibly imagine. Uh, the the singer George Corpse Grinder Fisher. <laughs> um, 
I, I believe that's his, his full name. I believe that's his full name, but I, I could be incorrect because I just call him Corpse Grinder, right? Um, and uh, Cannibal Corpse, okay? Uh, if you're not familiar with Cannibal Corpse, each of their songs has been described as um, a grotesque, macabre murder uh, uh, in short story form, okay? That's the lyrics to their, to their music. Songs like, you know, um, Make Them Suffer, or um, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, I can't say that one. I don't want to say that one because it, it, it makes me blush when I say that one. Um, I, I don't have song titles sitting in front of me, so I can't, I can't give them all away. But uh, yeah, look up their catalog on iTunes if you're, if you're curious. There's at least a few that I don't feel comfortable saying in front of a uh, live audience. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hear them. Even, um, the, even the F word is not as bad as <laughs> No, yeah, I'm sure, Jim, are you looking at their, their Wikipedia page right now? Yeah, yeah, so you see the one I'm talking about. Yeah, um, I see a few. You know, Hammer Smash Face and things like that. Like, the, the Hammer Smashed Face. I believe there's one about, you know, uh, like like being ripped open with a hook or something. Like, okay, so you can get, this is what you're getting. You're going to go, you're going to watch music where the lyrics are about murdering someone in a grotesque, awful, brutal way. Yeah. Um, they have been uh, the targets of various politicians, including Bob Dole, um, for censorship. Bob Dole. Are, Bob are Dole. asking people not to buy their music and not to go to their performances. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, and you know that just makes people go. Yeah, dude. That I don't know why they... Like, oh, shit, I want to see this. You know, like... The, the only thing... That is the funniest thing. We'll have to talk more about that afterwards. Because yeah, the, the funniest maybe, thing, I think, is, is whenever somebody says, do not go to this... Yeah, that's like, it's like a train wreck. You can't look away then. <laughs> right. The instant response is, I've never heard of them, but it must be interesting. Yes. Okay, so Cannibal Corpse. Um, so let's, let's, let's go through the, the list of bands. The first band, no-name band, local band, didn't care for them at all. Uh, yep. Second band was Harm's Way, which is, um, they were a very hardcore act kind of band. Um, I, I would say like 10% kind of like Entombed. 90% very hardcore style, you know, like punk slash metal, right? Um, they have their roots in like hardcore punk music here in Chicago. Um, I guess they were members from other bands that came together to kind of form a parody band called Harm's Way that ended up eventually becoming a real band. Um, seeing them, uh, a the, the couple, couple of key things. Sound was awful. Um, I didn't really feel like I connected with the guitar players on stage at all. The the singer was was the highlight though, cause cause of this right. Like I I, I like Arnold Schwarzenegger and stuff. Right. Um, the guy the guy shows up on stage. He's got cut off khakis, and a tight like tan polo shirt. Right. White dude, um, kind of sandy brown hair. Uh, he looked to be about thirty five, maybe forty. Gets one song into the set, rips his shirt off, and his his upper torso had to weigh at least three hundred pounds. The guy was massive. Oh, my like God. He, I, I, he could have thrown the members of the band into the audience should he show choosing. Um, <laughs> it, it was pretty impressive. And then, of course, he just did the angry, like, I'm going to stomp around the stage for an hour and, um, you know, pretend to hit my cymbals and, you know, for the drummer. And, it, it, I mean, it was okay. I just didn't connect with them. Um, I would say the vocals there were probably a little less Cookie Monster-ish than people would assume you would see it at like a Cannibal Corpse like concert performance. Um, the band that came after was Hate Eternal. Um, Hate Eternal has a guitar player. He's, he's pretty gifted. Uh, so it's a three-piece band. Uh, the drummer that they had was 
very impressive. Um, now he was using the trick double base pedal, so we get two hits per you know per swing. Um, he was he had mastered that, and uh, he was you know doing all these blast beats that just were nuts. And the only way that guy was getting through the show is because he was using really really good technique. Um, he was not overexerting. It was like watching a jazz drummer play metal. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Very quiet. You could tell that there wasn't like a lot of stage noise from the drums. It was a very different style of mix. Um, and the the guitar player, like he's very skilled. Um, I would say like not my cup of tea. Uh, very much like a lot, a lot of tremolo stuff. It, not not with a tremolo, but like tremolo picking. And uh, his, some of his solos were really cool. Uh, maybe a little bit too shreddy at times. Um, I, I didn't really connect with them so much, but I can respect it. Like there's actual skill there, I guess. Um, and then we know, of course, so just to give you some background, we get to the club. Um, I realize immediately that it's like all floor except for upstairs. I go upstairs. There's a bar there. Uh, we had some food. Um, they had VIP tables. Of course, there was pretty much nothing else unless you, you know, unless you want to be back away from the balcony. So we, uh, when the first band started, I walked downstairs for a minute. It's wall-to-wall people, sold-out show. Um, I couldn't see the stage, so I went back upstairs, huddled around a table, one of the VIP tables. Uh, we eventually ended up, because we stood for the first two bands, we decided that we were just going to take over this VIP table until they came and kicked us out, um, which we did, and they did eventually come kick us out. Um, right after Hate Eternal ended their set, Kish turned to me. Now, Kish is, Kish is a guy who's my age. He's 30. Um, he would be like 32, 33 years old. Right. Uh, he turns to me and he says, uh, he said, I'm going downstairs. Now, I thought we had talked about this before the show. He's like, oh, no. He's like, I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. I don't get in the pit. I don't get, I don't get involved in that stuff. Anymore. Yeah, he wrote out that entire show at the front of the audience. Um, I'm sure there was some pitting going on behind him. He was, you know, it was, it was one of those things. And then the other thing, he's like, we get in there. He's like, oh, the pit's going to be real small. It's going to be like, going to be like, you know, uh, he he's to put out like a, it's gonna be like six or eight feet, right? Know, right. Circle. That pit was pretty much all of the downstairs. I looked down there and it was like literally, you know, thirty by thirty. And then it, at one point there was a circle pit going. I'm like, fuck this! Like there, no way. Um. So anyway, Cannibal Corpse comes out. They take the stage. Um, I'm assuming this is like a typical set for them. Uh, we did not get to see very much of the band in the beginning because everybody was crowded around the tables. Um, and actually another friend who we were with, he was not feeling well. So um, I wanted to attend to him, but I, but I knew I was there to hear the band. Right. So I got to see their stage set up. They had uh, four uh, ha- full stacks, do a triple rectifier, full stacks. Right. Uh, and from what I've seen online, they tend to run them pretty much full out. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was, so is it, the, the club is a 1500 square foot club. It holds 1200 people. It was unbelievably good sounding. And the, the first three bands, I was like, this, this venue sucks. The, like Cannibal Corpse is going to sound like shit. Uh, Cannibal Corpse sounded great. And it was because yeah. they knew going in small clubs, this is probably what they play in all the time. If we show up to this gig and we let the PA do the job, it's not going to work. So they bring their full stack maces in and they just rip. Um, the band sounded incredible. I know it's not all original guitar players. Um, basically, the, the founding members of the band are 
the drummer and the bass player. Um, and then of course, uh, Corpse Grinder came in later. Um, but Corpse Grinder de- de- defines the sound of that band to me. Like he is the perfect vo- vocalist for that thing. And they sounded brutal. Um, I, I, I did have to put earplugs in for most of their set. At the same time, it was the tightest metal sound I've ever heard in my life. You cannot imagine with the blast beats and all that stuff, guitar players being as in sync as those two guys were with the, the drums and the bass. I've never seen a band that tight in my life. And I mean, I've seen, I've seen a lot of acts now. It was really freaking impressive. Um, you don't get, even getting hired guns to like, you know, rehearse and then you do this. These guys are on the road all the time and it's really clear that's what's going on. Um, if you've never seen Cannibal Corpse, their their tickets are usually fairly inexpensive. It might be something you want to go do. I know that kind of brutality is not for everyone, um, but it's one of those things where if you can appreciate musicianship, um, and it, it it may not be the common musicianship you think of. I mean, they're not doing a lot of solos. There's not a solo in every single song. Um, they're not, you know, nobody's like really stepping out and taking, you know, taking the the whole club and saying, you know, I'm the star of this show. There's none of that stuff going on, but it is guys just with raw power. Um, and that's what they left me with. So I, I'm not, I, I, I didn't walk into the club, not a metal fan. And I certainly don't feel like metal is crap when I walked out. I will say this much. I think to experience Cannibal Corpse, you can't listen to the records. You have to see the band live. Um, the records don't make as much sense now that I've seen the band live. Uh, it's it, it the sound isn't there, especially the older output. It's just one of those things where there's not a big budget for doing this stuff, and so you don't get great producers who understand what it has to sound like on the record. Even that, they they started in '88, right? The equipment didn't exist that makes this sound possible today, and that's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, just to characterize it, one last thing to characterize the crowd. Everybody there was representing Cannibal Corpse. Like, I don't think anybody there, I was probably the only dude there that was like, yeah, I like Cannibal Corpse, like a casual fan, you know? Um, and I will say, I, 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 I see this at every concert, um, but it, it just, it never ceases to amaze me how many people go there and they get so fucking blackout drunk, they'll never remember the show. And, and that's what I saw. I saw people with, no, you know, stoned. literally yeah. there was a woman behind me drinking a pitcher of beer. I'm, oh, I'm pitcher in hand, beer right in Right out of the pitcher. Yeah. Okay, right out of the pitcher. And she was leaning over me, putting the beer pitcher in my face because she was so drunk, she couldn't hold herself up properly. And I, and I just, I, I turned to, to my friend. I said, if she spills that on me, I probably will get kicked out. <laughs> it's like, this is not going to end well. Um, but, you know, you get into considerate people at every show. Yep. Uh, some bands are worse for this than others. Um, fortunately I feel like, um, I got my money's worth. It was a very inexpensive ticket. Um, uh, and, uh, I would highly recommend if you're interested in seeing what a metal show is like, Cannibal Corpse is a good way to start. Um, not all metal is like that. Uh, not no. all metal is that brutal. In fact, I, I was at good time music and I brought it up and, uh, Jeff over there says, you know, they're, they're a little bit too brutal for me. And I'm, it's like, yeah, I, I can understand. Like after sitting through that, watching the pit and everything downstairs, yeah, they, they're a little too brutal for me too, uh, in the sense that I I really wish I could go see them in a venue with seats. 
It's yeah. So yeah, I I just uh I just got tickets to go see Little Ozzy. Oh. <laughs> Which if you YouTube Little Ozzy folks, it actually um I'm a little let down because the band Little Kiss, all the members were little people. But in Little Ozzy, only Ozzy is a little person. The rest of the band is actually, you know, um, normal height. size, average, uh, average height. I'm using the word average, um, that's our PC word of the day. Um, but anyway, so actually, they could be relatively short, like myself, and uh, you wouldn't know yeah. because that guy's. Yeah, really you're short. certainly not average, Jim. You're you're way no. below. Yeah, I'm. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm not Steve Stein short, but I'm short. Um, that said, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, it looks amazingly good. Um, the music's, uh, online sounds good. So I'm going to, I'm going to go, I figured uh, it was $10 for the, uh, premium seat, $10. I'm going. So and that's just a place like where you went, where at least I have a, a place to sit and I have a bar of my own. I don't have to go out and fight my way up and through the crowd. So I was looking online. Um, and uh, I actually wasn't online. It was I was at Cannibal Corpse show, and the same venue was hosting Max Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have not seen what Max Sabbath yeah. is, do yourself a favor. Go over to YouTube, uh, search for Max Sabbath. Yep. Search for uh, more ribs instead of war pigs. Yep. Or <laughs> some of their other prejudices. This band is great. Um, I'm going to be looking for them to come back to town because I'm going to have to get tickets to go to that one. Although I do want to see him in a sit-down venue. Because that was tonight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wish it wasn't because I was about to buy a ticket. Yeah, yeah. so Max Sabbath, check him out. Yep. Yep. Uh, Going to see Little Ozzy. One more thing um, before we get into the show's topic for the night. Yep. Uh, Year of no gear. Yeah, so so now you have to... I'm in month four. Yeah. Um, I posted today in the group. And I I don't know that people understood necessarily what I was saying, which is that I wasn't announcing that Year of No Gear is over. What I'm saying is that I don't, I feel terrible because even though I'm in the middle of Year of No Gear, I've still managed to buy a Guitar Throne, uh, a Fuzz Face Mini, Germanium, a Boss TU2, you know, a a Genal Tribute Legacy, and uh, a Gator Progo gig bag, right? Um, Yep. Some of these things were needed, like the yeah. the TU two. I needed a floor tuner, um, and the the gig bag had to have it. Uh, the guitar throne it was a little selfish, but something I needed. Um, but buying a guitar, man. Oh, I just I don't feel good about it. I feel like oh, I just you know I just cheated on your no gear like really bad. Um, I haven't really been playing it all that much. I think I played it last night. Um, for you know, twenty minutes or something, I was noodling in that chair just because I didn't want to go in the other room and get the other guitar. Um, but I know that I've got two purchases that are coming up. One is a fifty-fifty from uh, Sixty Cycle Hum slash Pelican Noise Works. It's probably going to happen if I can get my hands on one. I know it's a very limited number, so there's a very good chance I won't end up buying one anyway. And then the other one is the um, uh, the King of Tone. So now, I thought that you, I thought you had a 50, 50. No, I've never had one. Oh, nope. I've had DOD two fifties in the past. Okay. But never, and uh, never a, uh, 
you know, the, the dual two fifty and the fifty. What's the one from them that you do have? Because you have one. Oh, from- I probably could noise works. I have uh I have two Pelotars. Oh, that's it. Pelotar. Um, the Pelotars you have the- started out making. Yeah, you have the uh the uh, regular Pelotar that's got like gold box and you've got like yeah. a black edition or something. and uh this is an overdrive. So yeah. Um and the DOD 250 is like a classic overdrive. Um yeah. so anyway, um I'm I'm probably still gonna get it. I do feel like I'm probably just gonna put it up in a drawer because at this point, like I feel really bad about the way that I've behaved. Um I'm not done. It may be you, you if you want to make fun of me, you can say year of less gear. Um, you've actually spent as much or more than I have on gear during your year of no gear. I don't know about <laughs> that. How much do you think I've spent? I don't know. Um, what eight bucks, eight hundred thousand? Uh, probably. You, well, you spent nine hundred on the SG, Dim. Eight fifty. Eight fifty on the SG, and then you got a strat on top of it. Strat's not for me. Matter of fact, the, that well, strat then, is then my we can't talk. Then I haven't spent a thousand bucks. That strat is my son. No, that doesn't. You're going to use it for the pickup mule, though. Yes. So, yes, and no then purchase, at the end, it's going to be his, which matches up with the tribute legacy. So, yep. same thing. So, really, in in honesty, I've spent a lot less than you because you bought an eight hundred dollar guitar. Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> how are you? How are you comparing? I have a hundred dollar gig bag, a hundred dollar tuner. Yep. $100 fuzz and $100 Cherith. That's $400 if we don't count the red strap. If you don't count the uh, red strap. Which you're not counting yours. No, I'm not. So you spent $800 on an SG. Hey, look. you, I, Jim, Jim, my, you lost. Give it no, up. No, my logic. My comes, numbers make hundreds, sense. Hundreds of people on Facebook have agreed have that- not cared <laughs> hundreds exactly don't give us hundreds of people on facebook have not cared about your no gear i get it exactly. this is a personal thing and i'm and i'm down about it so month four um i'm hoping to get a nice item for christmas so that i don't have to break your no gear and that feels uh. terrible too um but i mean like i'm gonna be honest with everybody um, I did not expect the show to grow the way it did in that time period and things to happen like us having to buy pickup guitars and things like that. So that's a big part of this. Um, yeah, we both would have had not bought guitars. I, I wouldn't have bought that Strat at this point. Right, right. Neither of us would have. Uh, I need another Strat like I need a hole in the head, which is why I've joked in the group about next year being year of no Strats. Yep. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so now let's, let's take a step back. Jim and I had a conversation earlier today about, uh, uh, I, I had mentioned to Jim, have you ever listened to ghost? Right. This really comes out of a conversation from last week where he'd mentioned like, cool, what bands would you, you know, characterize with other metal bands? Right. And, and he said ghost and it was quite clear that he didn't know what ghost sounded like. So yep. I brought it up. And I was like, why don't you listen to some ghost? Yep. And he didn't like it, which is fine. But he came back to me and what he said and this is what's going to spark our topic for the evening. What he said was, Nickelback is better than Ghost. Yep. Nickelback. Yep. Okay. And I asked him what his logic was. Because me, being me, I'm like, you need a therapist. 
Okay. That was, that was the way I reacted to this. Like you're out of your goddamn mind. Okay. <laughs> and so he comes back to me and he says, they have better hooks. To which I they replied, do. really? They I don't remember a single Nickelback song. They do write better hooks. Now, this is not true. I, Cause I do remember one Nickelback song, but I don't remember the hook. <laughs> you remember all the Nickelback never, songs. Never made it as a rich you man. You remembered one. There you go. That is it. It is a poor man. Yeah, but it's just the lyric. I don't remember the melody or anything. That's it. Uh, So anyway, that's all I remember of Nickelback. Okay. I, and and, and granted, I was in high school when that band was popular. Yeah. And Uh, let me ask you something. You were in high school when that band was popular, right? Yeah. Uh, I graduated class in 2003. So I got to ask this question. When you were in high school, um, how, how popular were they in your high school? They were pretty, pretty not amongst the people that I hung out with, but I, I hung out with everybody. So right. the other people that I wouldn't like call up or hang out with outside of school, they were listening to them. Um, I remember seeing Nickelback t-shirts. Yep. I remember people on the school bus listening to Nickelback CDs and laughing at them. Because yep. even back then I was like, this is, this is not rock. Like, what is this? This is, I, I, I it just, it, it just did not have the um, kind of attitude that I would expect from a rock song. The one thing, and I, you know how much I hate Nirvana, Jim, but the one thing I would give Kurt Cobain credit for is at least, and it's not the attitude I like, but at least there's attitude in that music. Whereas um, Nickelback, it just seems like, like, like a middle-aged white dude complaining. I, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come from the side of, of the fans of Nickelback. Okay. They're, they don't have any. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they, they obviously sell. The, it's like. Um, no, no. Selling and fans are two different things. It, you go to a Cannibal Corpse show, you'll see fans. You go to a Nickelback show, you'll see a bunch of people who know Nickelback songs. That's right. Two different now, things. Now, I, that's what I want to get to. That's, <laughs> that's, where, our, that's where our conversation is going to go, folks. Well, anyway, um, I, I have this charted out. Can I, can, I, can I say something before we I go can say this? No, no, because I, I want to finish the, can, the, right, the, right. Um, the Nickelback thing. Um, and that is, uh, there are a lot of their songs that I think you would be surprised. I think it would, it would surprise you, especially if somebody covered it and you didn't realize it was a Nickelback tune as to how good they are. And that's because, honestly, when you you can listen to some of their um, their stuff that wasn't popular, but it's like that's probably I I can bet you that anybody can say that about just about any band. Some of their least popular songs like Animal Animals and Sex and stuff like that are the ones that actually are their better. But I, I can't I can't comment because I don't know any of these songs. Right. So now, before we get into our topic, you you had something you wanted to say. Yeah. So I wanted to approach this from a different perspective. Yeah, I wanted to look at this from the abstract to the and then and then kind of narrow it down to be something that you can understand. And I'm not talking about you. Now, I'm I'm totally. I know I will not be able to convince Jim, but I know I can at least present an argument that I think some people will be able to understand and may it may enlighten some people into ways that you know they don't normally think. So the idea is that this: um, what is the purpose of art? Right. Uh, first question for for anybody. Jim, what do you think the purpose of art is? Get your take on it first. Honestly, I think that that, that is left up to t- interpretation, but 
um, the purpose, the purpose of art is to express yourself. Is it to express yourself? Okay. So, and that goes along kind of with what I'm going to say, which is that the purpose of art is really, um, it's communication and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be communication with the outside world. Okay. It can be communication with oneself, right? You can produce art to express yourself. And that's the idea of communication. To your, exactly. To yourself. Um, to, to have a self-realization, right? Right. Um, so what, now this is where we back up because we've talked about this on the show before, like what makes something successful? And I want to make sure that we're, we're very clear that on this, this is not about what makes something successful. This is about purpose. And so, um, d- does accomplishing your purpose have any bearing on whether art is good or not? Now I'm not talking about music. I'm talking about art in a general sense. Remember I said I was going to go from the abstract to the small, right. you know, facet we're going to. Right. Do. So if, um, I, I would say that for art to be successful, it would accomplish its task. Right. So if we, if we go back to the original statement, which is to express oneself or to communicate, if, you, if you're on my side, that yeah. means that doing that means that you will then have successful art. Now, here's where it gets, here's where it gets complicated. Okay. So, All right. If but, we're talking about communicating with either oneself or others. And we have to. That we distinction. We also have to, um, uh, we also have to um, define success. Success is a different thing. We're, we're leaving that out of this at this point. We're, we're we can't there. if we say that. No, we, we're getting there. We're, we, trust me. You're okay. gonna have to, hold on. Hold on to your seat for a minute. So, right. if the, so if you're communicating either to yourself or others, then what are we talking about? We're talking about the audience, right? So the audience can be oneself or it can be other people. Yes. And audiences can be diverse. Right. That's correct. So you can have an audience that is focused on one genre where we get right. to this in the, and then we're going to start narrowing down. We get this in the guitar world. You've got guys like Steve Vai and Joe Satriani and all these other crazy lunatic guitar players. And I mean, there's a million of them and they're in all different genres. Those people are speaking to guitar players and musicians as an audience, right? They're For not, the most part. they don't care about. Yes. Right. Jim, obviously there's going to be some spillover. But I'm just saying their focus is, especially guys like Vi, is to impress guitar players. Yeah, there was a, the, um, while you're in that, there was a uh, comment he made during his uh, premier guitar rig rundown a few mm-hmm. years back, um, the older one. And um, he said to the young lady that was uh, interviewing him, he said, uh, yeah, they, they took my blood and put it into, you know, yeah, the, take, DNA guitar. take the guitars, the DNA guitar. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, he said, you could probably take some of this and clone me. And then maybe you could make, maybe that person could grow up and write, write songs that would people would listen to. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And, and like, it's, it's genius because he, because yeah. he knows who yeah. That's a, exactly. Who they are. exactly. That's how they can focus in on their audience. Um, and it, my point is that a big part of producing art is to understand who your audience is. Now, when we go from, from the perspective of uh, monetization and who's making money off this stuff, that's a whole other animal. And Correct. it has a lot to do still with who's your audience, right? Correct. And how do you write for that audience? And yeah. your definition of success. <laughs> if your definition is, I, let's just, let's go from your definition of success. What is your definition of success? Right? Oh, definition of success. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
definition of success when it comes to what I want to do when yeah, I create? And, and, and I've had I've had prior knowledge of this because we've done this on the show before. But what is your definition of success? Yeah, my definition of success is that if I am able to play for people and they're willing to come to my shows and um, we have a good turnout and I make enough money to there, there it is. pay for my there. gear and I and I you know and you're absolutely right. I am not interested. The truth of the matter is, and this is where it comes from me, truth from my heart, is I'm not interested in make, making music I enjoy. Yeah, he's not interested. That sounds weird. In that, respect. It, that sounds totally weird to most people. They, they would say, are you insane? You don't write music that you're not interested in making music you enjoy? You know why? Because when I, if I have to spend two days or six days memorizing um, a solo, I mean, this is a long solo. It's my Sharona. Um, if I have to spend um, tons of time memorizing uh, music to play for people, what what my de my definition of success is to look out there and see those people dancing while I'm playing and enjoying themselves and drinking and having a good time. Right. And, well, and then and then to get a little bit of that green too, right? Yeah, I guess some green is a that that's a side effect of it. That's exactly what I wanted you to and, say. And you it fell into my trap. Right. It's it no, it, and it is. It is a side effect of of that. So I might sit down, like I'm relearning the stupid, I, I mean, it'll take me about 15 minutes, but I'm relearning the stupid intro to Brown Eyed Girl. Why? Because we decided to add it. Would, would anybody in their right fucking mind do that? No, of course not. But the thing is that I, um, I know that when we play that out, there are people who are going to love it. And they're, not, and they're not musicians, which is why I'm always, that's, folks, that's why I've always been afraid to put what I play on the on youtube because you, what i do you go oh oh that's that's great that's funny uh -huh. i have both hands in the air right now because i feel like a fucking therapist i do i feel like i've accomplished something here because i laid a trap for jim and jim has now fallen into it <laughs> i don't know what it is no I, i'm gonna explain so i'm so stupid no, i don't know no no you're not stupid look it's it's a very abstract thing we used it we used an abstraction funnel to, to gather your, your thoughts, collect them into a little basin, okay? And now right. you're pouring out the things that I was going to say anyway. So right. here's, where, here's where my whole point is. If we go back to that original idea of, like, what is the purpose of art? And it's to communicate right. either oneself or others, right? Yep. And then we talk about the fact that um, I mentioned that monetization and success are parallel, or they're, they're perpendicular to that. That's correct. And that has to do with the fact that I think if you appeal to people's base senses and you communicate effectively with your audience, yes. you're going to accomplish your purpose. Absolutely. Okay. And by accomplishing your purpose, you get these little parallel things that happen, like make a little bit of money. And right. Jim, playing covers is part of that. Just because you didn't create the song doesn't mean you can't use it to communicate. It, and, and, it, and it totally, that is exactly what I'm getting at. Now, Here's where we get into the part where I know I'm not going to be able to convince you of this, but I can at least I can at least bring it up and try to get our listeners thinking, right? So we talked about Nickelback, and you and you mentioned they have great hooks, right? I'm the guy that's going to sit in the corner and say I don't give a fuck about hooks. I really don't. No, um, I I agree with I I and I totally respect that. No, I it's fine, but but here's here's why I I say what I say. Okay, so the hook. For me, in music, when somebody when somebody sits down, like you hear about these country guys, they're like, "I'm gonna write this song, and I got the verses down, and I gotta come up with a, a hook for the chorus." Right? They're gonna come up with a hook. That's the problem. 
You shouldn't have to come up with a hook. It should be intrinsic. No, exactly. It should just happen on its own. And if it doesn't, then you don't have a muse for this. Like, and, and I mean the muse in like the abstract sense of like this thing that inspires you to do things that are great. Yep. Um, and I think that's the problem I have with modern music dating back to the period where Nickelback uh, and even bands slightly before that, where, and I'm talking specifically about rock music and a little bit of pop music. Well, pop is guilty of this and has been guilty of this since, you know, the mid eighties where they were going to write a hook and that was going to sell the song. And that was the most important thing. And they'd have 10 writers in the room trying to come up with this hook and they'd all get credit and they'd all get paid. Um, I think the bands that were able to intrinsically do this on accident, your sound gardens, your Alice in Chains. And I'm talking about bands from the nineties because that's right, such a right. pretentious period. Right. Um, they're the ones that have gone on and been seen as like the, the harbingers of, of music for that generation. Right. Um, yep. and you can go back in time and you can see that throughout the eighties, like <laughs> bands like guns and roses ain't nothing in that music hooky. Right. No. But I guarantee well, half of the listeners of this show could put on Appetite for Destruction and sing three quarters of the songs. I think I would say that a lot of Appetite for Destruction had hooks. When I think of Welcome to the Jungle, I can say this for me. That's for me. Maybe I'm seeing a hook differently. But for me personally, when I hear the intro to um, Welcome to the Jungle, that's a hook for me. The and intro that, is not, that's, and I, I, wait, 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 I can wait. see what you're saying, but. Yep. And when the, you know, that. The riff, maybe. Riff, that riff is my hook. But there are other songs on that album that were smash hits that didn't. Oh, yeah. Like Mr. Brownstone. Mr. Brownstone. Maybe the that's vocal it. part is a hook. Maybe. Yep. Um, and it's such a quirky song. Night it Train. Is. Night Train's hooky. Yeah, I guess the, the main part in there. But yeah. like Rocket Queen. Rocket Queen is definitely not a hook song. Yeah, I mean, not a hook song. and, and it, it was not a, it was not a single on the radio either because you know there was actually a woman having sex on that track, which I found out recently, and it didn't really do a whole lot for me. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can listen to that song anymore. That's kind of weird. yeah. You don't see it the same way anymore, do you? Yeah, that was kind of weird. Um, so uh, at a different time, I'm sure people who are growing up around that music at that time were like, that's just you know the way music is right now. Yeah. So um, that was my mid thirties. Um, my early to mid thirties and, and kind of the, the, um, apex of rock music for me. Um, now when it comes to hooks, when I say hook, it's something that when, when I hear it, I instantly think of the song. That's now, what see, I see that. I see that as the recognizable part of the song. A hook is the part that they use either in like the chorus or the bridge that repeats over and over and gets stuck in your head. So that's why I said, when you said the appetite destruction main riff, I was like, yes, that I could see definitely. Um, I guess it can obviously be like a little catchy guitar part, but that's it. It's, it's catchy. And it's the (laughs) shit that they repeat over and over to drill it into your brain. You're the baseline to money. Yeah. Definite hook, right? The baseline to brown eyed girl, the song I was talking about before. Now I'm not discounting the fact that yes, there are many songs that have little catchy things like the intro to uh, uh, Appetite for Destruction, or I would consider the impetre- you know, for the whole album. But um, Yeah, that little, you know, that whole thing. Or that, you know, that riff that 
slash plays during um, Sweet Child. Yeah, and and so that's that riff was actually a, a, an exercise that they ended up using on this song. Yeah, like, that was an etude that it's he like a whole a whole thing. Um, right. But yeah, no, I totally get it. So yeah. I, I'm just saying that like accidental things are one thing. Yep. But for for somebody to sit down and say like I'm going to craft this piece of music so you can't get it out of your head so it will sell more, that I have a problem with. My Sharona, I want to go back to that that G, um, uh, that simple, so so simple. That whole uh, song is a hook. Like there's multiple part, multiple things going on there that are very memorable. Yeah. But yeah. it was, I guarantee you, when they went to the studio, they were not like. Hey, I you bet know, nobody will ever get this out of their head. You know what? You know what he did? He wrote a song that he was hoping that that that, that um, girl would that teenage girl that he was talking would come hang with. out with him. You know, he was like twenty five. She was like uh, eight, 16 or seventeen. Yeah. So, um, and she's still around. He's no. Um, this is yeah. why. This is really the reason, and this is the core reason I took issue with what you said about Nickelback, though. Yeah. And my my immediate reaction was: hooks are not more important than the message of a song. Because that goes back to that original statement of purpose of music, communication, right? They can be used to support it, but they're not more important than it. That's, no, that's kind of what I'm getting at. No, but <clears throat> what was their purpose? I mean, I, I'm sure that a bunch of um, uh, young kids from uh, southwestern, right? They're from southwestern uh, Canada, right? Who are we talking about specifically? Oh, you're talking about Nickelback. Nickelback. Yeah, I think they're from uh, like Alberta or something. Winnipeg, Winnipeg I believe. Yeah, uh, whatever. How the fuck I, do I know that? I don't know. I can um, remember anyway, the stupidest shit. I just uh, you could tell they're Canadian because of the way they say "about" and stuff like that. But um, uh, the thing is that when you, uh, I am willing to bet that they wanted to pad their bank account. Look. I have no problem with a band making money. Mm -hmm. I have a problem with a band with no integrity making money. Yeah, but we, who, is, <laughs> who is responsible for that, though? In, in all reality, we can be we pissed are. off at... Right, we exactly. Who, who but should, not me. I never bought the record, so... Right. Who <laughs> should be mad? Who should be upset that Nicki Minaj and Rihanna sell songs with stuff like um, Stupid Ho, Stupid Ho, Stupid Ho, and um, the song that goes work, 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 work. You know what? Lowest common denominator. I can't. I can't. I can't. And so is Nickelback carrying the, did they carry a torch for rock and roll? I hate to say this because I hate to admit it, but you know what? They did. Through a period of time when people weren't listening to rock, listen to me. When they weren't I'm listening, not listening to rock, because I don't believe like, they're rock music. Bands like Three Doors Down, bands like Nickelback, these the guys. Shit they were trying to force down people's throats, and they did. They, that doesn't look, and and that that that's part of the reason why I don't why I don't agree with you. If you have radio stations, and we we all know what happened with Clear Channel in the late nineties, and we had bands and pop artists alike who are getting shoved down everyone's throats. And I'm not just talking about the American public because we know Clear Channel has operations overseas too. Right. Well, That's the problem is that they took advantage of the fact that nobody thinks for themselves anymore. And now they're, see they're seeing the, the destruction of their industry because they fucked it up. Well, I don't know is, uh, okay. So all right, I come from the old days, 
this, this exact same argument was being made by two guys just like us on microphones in an FM studio years and years and years ago. They were like, rock is dead. They were talking about how pop music and it was all about looks and it was all about that. From the day you could put a video, <coughs> even before the MTV days, from the days you could put a person up and, and just have them um, in where it was about vis- visuals, not about um, their song and the, and the way they sounded, that, that has shifted. And that started in the days of Elvis. And, and I would say, I would say they're partially right. That's right. It was a slow burn. It was a real slow it burn. It wasn't like the world imploded all at once, but, but it right. got worse. Now, so you're going to say it's a slow burn. Yes. I think it was a slow burn, but then it hit a peak where it just got fucking destroyed all at once. Well, see, that, was between, that was between 1997 and 2003. Yeah, that's when Clear Channel pretty much took every radio station in the world. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I didn't Google that. I, I, I mean, no. it just was the way it felt. No, my I had a cousin and and several friends in the um in the DJ industry. He was DJ, and um I said, "Can you play this songs, Jim?" I can't. I don't even get to decide what goes on the radio anymore. They send me a a you know what what is a, a file disc. He sticks it in, and he said, it, and it cues me when to talk, and it cues me even what to say. Yeah, it's and embarrassing. That, and we, we lost we lost radio personalities. We lost the people who had the ability to go, you know what? Yeah. I, I mean, Rush would not exist now. The ones that are here in Chicago, back. they're like pirate radio stations. Yeah. The, 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 the guys that are on them are like the same disc jockeys from like 35 years ago. They're going to grow again. It's going to happen again. Oh, it's yeah, already no. people it going already back is. to people. Right. And people going back to vinyl and, and those who are hearkening back to the days of, of the old. That that's coming back. Listen, I think vinyl is a nostalgia thing, but I think it. And I think you're right. I think what's happening is people are taking control of what. That's they what I mean by picking streaming and all these different things. They're saying, "Fuck you, Clear Channel. We don't right. want a part of this." That's yeah. why people are buying Apple Music because Apple said, "We're not going to be the DJs. We don't give a shit. You listen to what you want." Absolutely. So so let me take this a step further. So if if um you have uh you know, the vinyl folks, it's, it's just that people are hearkening to be able to control their music again. Spotify as shitty as it is on a, on the surface That's what, well, is what allowing gonna... people to build playlists. Yeah. But the one thing I don't like about Spotify is that if you put it on random, then you're getting spoon. Yes. Yes. Then you're spoon fed shit. Hey, I, I have the same problem with YouTube. Um, if, if I let that thing autoplay, uh, it'll go from where I'm watching. Like I was watching ghost. And then it shows me an Anderton's video. I'm like, why, why did you just switch? Yeah, to yeah. I'm watching ghost videos. I had three ghost videos in a row. And now you're going to show me Anderton's TV. You know why? Because they're fucking, that's money for you. And I don't even have ads. I have YouTube premium, which used to be YouTube red, but I guess they didn't yeah, want to be changing it like every, every other month. Well, well, the reason they changed stupid it anyway because YouTube Red it sounds like porn. Sounds like Red Tube, and that's a porn channel. But well, no, well, so Red anything up, is porn. Yeah, don't look that up, kitties. So, um, the the point that I'm getting at is this: if if we start taking control of what we listen to, I did that when I made tapes back in the in the 80s and 90s, 
And I, the minute you could put a CD and put it in your car, I had a CD player in my car. So I was like, I can put 275 songs on, on MP3 in my car and I have exactly what I want to hear. That's what I'm doing. But what, what my point is about the slow burn is this. So that the, the record companies, as soon as something gets, gets popular, they crush it. Punk music, popular, crush it. The way they crush it, though, is by making it commoditized. That's right. They commodity. They make it a commodity. Hair metal was cool until it became too cool. Yeah, like Rat and Dawkin were good, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, we need poison. Right. All of a sudden, (laughs) poison. I mean, come on. Come on. Do we really need poison? No, hell no. (laughs) But Motley Crue was cool. Dawkin was cool. I don't even know if I – I mean, so – I would would still call Motley Crue. When you start looking at groups like Motley Crue, though, and, and this is where I think we see the, the destruction, that slow burn taking hold, mm-hmm. was when they decided that they were going to take bands like Miley Crew, who are a huge risk because they were, they were messy human beings. Yes. Everybody knew that they were on drugs and they were alcohol, yep. and it was easy to control and manipulate them. That's, and that's the other side. When we talked to um, uh, Sawyer, um, the heck was his name? Uh, what was his first name? Sorry, we had him here in my house. Um, he uh, was talking about how they fed him drugs. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. I mean, you can go back and listen to that episode. And, and, uh, so we'll have to, we'll have to link that episode. Don, Don, that's it. Don Sawyer. I know his sister, Karen. And I was like, what's it? What was his first name? Don God Sawyer, damn. Yeah. yeah. Don Sawyer. Um, so if you go back and look up our episode on Don Sawyer, and we'll link it in the show notes, Don, um, told us, you know, right there, they fed him, they fed them girls. They fed them drugs. They fed them, them in that very alcohol, expensive house. Put them up in expensive gave house. Them every luxury they could give them to control them. That's right. Because a little bit of cocaine keeps yeah. an 18, 20 something year old kid under control. Yeah. 50, bu- 50 bucks worth of cocaine saves them $3,000 with the legal bills. Absolutely. And a few beers and a couple of, a couple of girls that, that are just looking for a good time. Yeah. And, so- and their own cocaine of their own. Yeah, so that's the whole thing is like, and that, and that's, look, the whole industry is is a mess. It's been a mess for a really long time. There's always these rays of hope and light underneath the surface if you if you dig around enough. I mean, the the underground metal scene, as much as Jim, you may not like it, it is at least pure. Oh no, I don't. It, just because I don't like this music that Ghost does, they seem like the sticks of. Well, they're not like so the metal. Let's 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 leave Ghost out of this. But I'm talking about like like the really underground stuff, like Hate Eternal and bands like that. Look, those guys are on really small independent labels, and they're just making ends meet. Well, for me, love, that's know? right. I mean, um, what's that? Uh, Anvil. Yeah, exactly. We've spoken about them before. Anvil has never given up. Those poor bastards. Relentless. He, he the lead singer was delivering lunches for schools in Southern uh, Cal or uh, Southern Canada. Yeah. And the guy, come on, it's out in the middle. Um, it's like mid Midwestern Canada. So if you look at that, geez, that guy, he, but he never gave up hope. And if it hadn't been for somebody who loved them the same way that we're talking about right now, who had a, who had a passion enough to do a stupid little video, right? That documentary. If that documentary hadn't been done, they still would have been delivering, um, yeah, you know those yeah. things. But now they're they're. I mean, I'm not saying that they made it rich, but they're doing okay now. 
but you but you guys when you see those guys like on a show or like whatever do you know or even just playing music on youtube or whatever you now like you can get behind that band because you know try look they're legit they didn't they didn't fucking lie cheat and steal their way through it nobody handed them the keys to the kingdom to control them and manipulate them so that they could take money off of them it's it's i feel like it's a more pure thing but it's basically about integrity kept their integrity and and you know to to claim that you know i'm not saying that that nickelback went that far but they they still had to work you know here's my here's my thing here this is my this is my take on things whether whether it's nickelback or rihanna or whoever most of them they're not that 14 year old girl that got handed a multi-million dollar contract because she had a youtube video that exploded or rebecca black who no one should have ever heard that he shared on youtube but if it wasn't for youtube and the fact that everybody loves a friday the song would never have been heard um my point is we're we can't assume that the people behind i want to make um uh, a quick observation here okay so um remember paradise by the dashboard lights right meatloaf meatloaf for my generation meatloaf was huge yeah and when I say meatloaf was huge, I don't just mean the fact that he's physically huge. Or no, what. he was he was a, a monstrous level performer. A year after, yeah. uh, that album came out. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and they struggled. That album didn't sell. No, he had no, a, it just it, took forever for that fucking thing to take off. Right, it was there was a part in he had a part in a movie that was kind of. A bit part, but now if you go to Rocky Horror Picture Show, you of course have to say meatloaf for dinner again. Um, so it, it's kind of fun and funny in a way. That guy was living in a trailer a few years later. Yeah, because he because he fell away. apart. Because again, they, they, he and Jim Steinman didn't work work together again. No, not, not for until years. Meat, until they no, did Battle of Hell too. Battle of Hell too. And what they do? I would do anything yeah. for love. But I won't do that. Chances are, if you think of a meatloaf song, it's off those two records. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and, and you know what? He, he invested his money a lot better the second time around. That's right. So, um, he was very smart with it the second. And Ian, uh, who is it? Scott Ian, is his brother-in-law or something like that? I didn't know his that. Son-in-law? Yeah. He, Scott Wait, Ian's in the family now. Um, but uh, I want to say, I want to say he's either his brother-in-law or his cousin-in-law or something like that. I, I don't remember, but I, I do know they're related now by marriage. Um, but what I'm getting at is you look at, you look at these bands um, and, and we make a lot of assumptions really do. But the, but the fact is, I mean, and these pop musicians, we think of all oh, these pop musicians, they get this stuff and they don't even appreciate it and they don't get it. Leif Garrett, look at what he does now. He'll, he'll do anything for money. And, and the reason was because again, they they took a kid. He was a little kid, and they and they um they exploited him. And then he was like, "Nope, not a not a good little kid anymore." Bye. Get so, out. ultimately, I guess what we're saying here is that um, it's not necessarily the music's fault, and, no. I, and I get that. Look, I I you know I just I I don't think so. We're to back up a little bit. We're going to talk about, let's talk about ghosts. Cause we, we've talked, we spent a lot of time bitch, bitching about, I've spent a lot of time bitching about Nickelback. Yes. Um, and I will continue don't. to do so until I'm dead. Um, ghost. I would go see the Ghost on the other hand presents an interesting concept because ghost is a band that is very clearly looking back. 
at what's come before them. Okay, so they're referencing Black Sabbath and pretty much any Satanist iconography you can find anywhere. Um, and even going to like movies and stuff about the occult. Um, and I think that's not this, that's definitely not a unique thing. Um, but I would say that because they have chosen to be pop metal, which is very much yep. what they're doing. Yep. Um, some of the critique you had of it was like, oh, it's like over compressed guitars and things. It's like, yeah, okay. So you would think that, but I don't know that no, an average, average audience does. No, I heard over compressed vocals. Okay. Yeah. So the vocals are very overdone. And yeah. And a lot of layers, which yeah. meant live because nobody else. So those who are not familiar with ghosts, oh, he's, he's pitchy live too. Yeah. The band wears masks. They're obviously not singing well, because they no, have no mouths in the masks. No, he, he, the lead singer dresses up like the black Pope. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the, I'm not talking about the lead singer. He wears okay. makeup. Talking about the rest of the band. So the re- the main of the band wears a mask. I, I, I like their new masks. I think they're kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the look of the band, it, I would go see them in live, but here's what I was getting at. So I saw um, a live video where they were playing what looked like Donic, um, Donican. Doc, 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 uh, now it's, it's live at Donigan. 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 Yeah, Donigan. Anyway. In England, right? Yeah, so it looks like they're playing there. A lot of people, um, and they're chanting, chanting. You see him up on the stage, like you said, he's very pitchy live. I've seen, I saw yeah. a few where he was singing live, and I could, I could picture um, Randy Jackson going, "I was pitchy dog." Um, but uh, he was. How do I say this? But it's real rock. Yes, it was real rock, but he was definitely singing with a track because they were like four vocal. Well, and that you so you could say that today. Um, I guarantee you, you go see Nickelback, you're going to see tracks. Ah. I guarantee it. I've seen Nickelback live. Yeah, Those of you and I who, guarantee it. There were I, tracks. I have paid for tickets to go see Nickelback. Oh, you fucking idiot! <laughs> I took the whole family. My whole family. Oh my god! They love them. They. You just pay them more, more. Just give them all your money. If it wasn't for my kids, I never would have heard of Nickelback. Oh my god. Well, so you did donate to charity after this, right? To offset your bad karma. So, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a little, a little side, I guess. My, my daughter, who was, I think, 12 at the time, 13. Well, that's boys, why you went. The guys, the boys were like seven or eight because they're five years younger than she is. And my wife, they were all like, yeah, I want to go see Nickelback. I want to say, all right, I'll go. They were actually pretty good live. And you know who you know who opened for these guys? I mean, guys, bands like Asking Alexander, and um, and you're gonna hate those guys, right? <laughs> I don't even know who the fuck they are. <laughs> Yellow card and stuff like oh! this. Like, oh! <laughs> God, you had to traumatize me with the shit from that era. I knew that would elicit a response. Oh my God, Yellow <laughs> Card! I haven't heard that band name in like fucking. Like, 30 years. It tells you how long ago it was. I mean, I think I heard that shit in the womb the last time. I think I. Excuse us, holy cough of a lung, folks. This was, this was probably 10 years ago or more. So, because the boys are 18 now. So, they're going to be 19 soon. So, yeah, that was, it was a while ago. Um, so, but uh, my point is, 
we went to see them and and they enjoyed it and they enjoyed all the opening bands and you know what's funny so i had seen uh uh motley crew not too much before that okay, um, okay. and motley crew they did the saint saint angeles tour um and i've heard they use tracks now too oh you bet your ass i saw a lot of where they were using tracks but I, I will say that now, uh, having seen them live, I know why, um, uh, what's his name? You know, I've seen, I saw them live a long time ago, many times. But I didn't really think about, you know, until I tried to sing his stuff, Vince Neal's voice, right? Then I see him live. Do, what he does on those songs, like Shout Out the Devil, you know, where he sounds like he's got helium in his, in his bunghole. Yeah. yeah. That's what he sounds like when he talks. I was like. I know, I know. Oh, shit. So. <laughs> So going back to speaking ghost of tracks speaking of tracks you i could see making the argument okay so ghost is a metal band and like metal bands don't typically use tracks because they don't have the production budget right ghost is not really a metal band okay no, they, they have a production budget. yeah they have there's some money behind that group yeah they're right. um so anyway go go on what were you but, saying but you know what's weird so i saw an interview with ghost um i think i posted that thing in the group and what was what was weird about it was this so you're, you're sitting there you're, i'm watching the video and i go wow the the members families only recently when the video was posted found out they were in the band they didn't know what they did for a living it was like they were going off to do some military secret shit they would probably just tell them i'm going on tour and I'm not allowed to talk about what I'm doing for yeah, it, the sake of the, the band. And I'm sure the family members have probably guessed at that point, you know. No, yeah, but um, isn't that weird? I the think that was more or weird. less like regarding extended family. So. Um, Could be. I don't know. I, I, I guess he, the guy said it was just kind of like a weird thing. Now, I saw recently. Okay, let's talk about metal. Let's talk about Guar. Gore is not so. All right, let me let me find out what they consider Gore to be this time. So I need the right pants to compare them to. All I know, all I know about Gore is that lead singer who passed away last year. By the way, God rest his soul. Was it last year? I thought it was longer than that. Might have been. Might have been a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. So they're considered Um, thrash metal, which is what I thought. Some people have said shock rock, hardcore punk. There's definitely hardcore punk elements to to Gore. Um, I think Gore's real. Uh, I don't know anybody who listens to Gore just for the music. Okay. No, of course not. I think that Gore is a. It was was the kind of band to went to see because it was freaking hilarious. I mean, the guy. Here's it, the, here's it, a list of people they mutilated on stage: O.J. Yeah. Simpson, John Kerry, Mike Tyson, Ronald Reagan, Jerry. Pretty much every American person. Jerry Springer. I saw the one where yeah. they fed oh, Jerry John Paul II, Osama <laughs> bin Laden, Michael Jackson, Al Gore, John McCain, Hillary Clinton, Paris Hilton, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Adolf Hitler, fuck yes, Lady Gaga, Marilyn Manson, Jerry Springer, uh, Sarah Palin, Snooki, uh, Mitt Romney, Pope Francis, Justin Bieber, Tony Abbott, Donald Trump, and many others. <laughs> okay, most of those people, like, uh, okay, the Marilyn Manson one, that was pretty funny, but that was a fake. The the Hitler one, obviously, was a fake. Oh, they're all but, fakes. They're, they're mutilating. No. 
Jerry Springer one was hilarious. It was oh, on the Jerry Springer out. show, and they brought Jerry Springer out, and they fed him to their. They have this worm that comes out. Yeah, and no. They fed him to the worm. It was so funny because you could see Jerry crawling there is, inside. There is not a show mm -hmm. on earth that is as crazy as going to a gore show. Yeah, that would have been that would have been a show that I I'm kind of sad that I didn't get to see one of those. Oh, I think we're still around. Movie. No, I don't think we're quit. I think really? we're still around. Even after he died? Yes. Oh, wow. Um, they haven't performed since 2016. Okay. But well, he passed, uh, well, according to this, according to this, I'm not sure. No, they're mm -hmm. still active. Oh. Um, yeah. So uh, Dave, Dave Brocky was the one that passed away. Yep. He passed away in 2015. He was only 50. 2014. Yeah, he was. Uh, so he had, he had drug problems that plagued him most of his career. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, they're still performing. Um, I don't know who's singing now, but uh oh, Kim Kim Dilla. Oh, okay. So they put. Is that the woman that they used to have with them? I'm not sure. Or is that a guy? Because Kim could be either one. No, uh, Kim has never been in the band before. Okay. No, Kim used... Dilla did, and now it's now Michael Bishop has taken over. Michael oh. Bishop was the original bassist. Oh yeah, yeah, he so... left the band. Yep. It's kind of cool that they're like bringing people back to you know fill in the roles yep. and things. Um, I hope Gore continues for a long time because yeah. I think I think the music industry needs those performance artists. We talked well, about they need on the show before too, right? We talked about that with Buckethead. They the the um the world needs people like that. They I mean if you yeah, haven't kisses. seen Buckethead, folks, yeah, if you haven't had, seen Buckethead, folks, you're really missing out. It's a really good show, and and you know you get two things: you get the performance art. And you get the um, thing. That was the thing about, you know, so in my day, Electric Light Orchestra was a performance artist band. Um, they, had a, they had a whole presence that they did up there. Um, it wasn't until The Wall that Pink Floyd did anything like that. Um, although before that, I'm, I'm too well, young. They had, the, they you know, had like the, the 60s, big and shit. Right. They had the, um, the Pink Floyd show with Sid Barrett. And you know, a little bit after well, that. Well, even the animals, they had the floating pig. I mean, that, <laughs> right? They and they've always had the pig and the lights. Yeah, and, or the airplane, or you know, whatever. Yep. Yeah, I, <laughs> I I got to see the airplane. I got to see the wall, and I got to see uh, backside of the moon. I got to see um, uh, not del delicate I sound think, of thunder. I think but, the wall um, is probably the the most performance last. you know oriented record. Oh yeah. Because it was written with the intention of like touring, it. <clears throat> right? Performance was was at the central. Um, yeah. Um, so, but you but, know, I mean, you look at what happened with uh, with Sticks. Now, of course, people are going to throw throw um, tomato well, rotten tomatoes at their. I've already said my piece mm -hmm. about uh, Mr. Roboto. Mr. Um, Roboto, it was it, it trashed them. Yeah, dude. totally trashed them. Even though the music on it's pretty solid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, mu the music was solid but the problem was sticks was one of those bands that was stuck in between they weren't pop and they weren't rock they weren't indie enough to be indie you listen yeah. to that yeah i the grand illusion and that's a really good solid album pieces of eight is a solid album crystal ball is a solid album and you you know um uh pieces but people couldn't tell where they were supposed to fit and right so if because you were, if you were a sticks fan that meant you were getting shit from both sides Absolutely, because you weren't poppy enough for the pop people, and you weren't. You know, it was Tommy Shaw that said, uh, "Let's leave Barry Manilow's music to Barry Manilow." To uh, 
um, when uh, they wrote Babe. The thing was that song exploded, and just like Kiss um, with uh, Beth, that song exploded, and it was not representative of Kiss. Right. Just as Babe really wasn't representative of of um, yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're, you know, we're, we've definitely gone over our allotted recording here. Um, I, I think we need to wrap it up. Um, first off, I want to say, uh, we do have one Patreon supporter. I wanted to bring it up in the beginning. One new Patreon supporter in Mark Gannon. Uh, thank you very much for, for your, uh, contribution to the show. Um, anybody else who's interested, you know, obviously you can scroll back to the, uh, the, intro where i talk about the you know how to get involved with the show um i We've have got- had a massive asthma attack during this episode so i apologize for any wheezing that's been going on shortness of breath i jim can see me he probably thinks i've been angry the whole show and i'm like yeah. i was hoping for a little more shouting like i couldn't i, I fucking couldn't I, um, I i would pass out if i shouted for those who have stayed long enough to hang out um Next week we've got a special guest coming. I won't. I won't give any more hints than meow. That's the only yep, hint I'm yep, gonna give. Yep. Carlisle's. Yep. I've been David. I have been Jim. And next week we have a guest. We've been the practical guitarists. Yes, we have. <laughs>